This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, September 14th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. And we are basically halfway through the month of September and less than 50 days away from the election and only a couple more weeks away from the third and final, sorry, the fourth and final quarter of the, the year. And we know that unprecedented series of events have shaped this year and there's likely to be more before the end of the year and that likely means more volatility and our job and your job is to help understand how to navigate this difficult environment and know how to compensate for the risks that are out there and the asset classes that you maybe hold or are thinking about buying into and what type of risks each one has. Right? Every investment has different types of risk and multiple. No investment that you will ever make has one type of risk. Could be currency risk, could be credit risk, could be event risk, market risk, duration risk, all types of risks that are out there. But each investment that you make has multiple that you need to be aware of. Okay, And that's our goal here is to help you understand the suite of investment options that are out there as well as the ones that you currently hold. That's why we get a lot of calls on the show that talk about a specific company, specific asset class, and I try to broaden it out to help you understand the industry as a whole or the type of asset that that is and what risks are involved as well as rewards. And that's what we try to do each and every day here on Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And in this program and podcast, I do my best to provide you with unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions and help you develop those strategies to deal with the current market environment. So I'm ready to take your calls right now at 888 chart 888 Check on the mar- market real quick today. You had uh, a pretty decent update in the S&P. SP was up about 42 points, a little over 1%. The NASDAQ was up about 200 points, a little less than 2% there. And overall, we still remain, though, in last week's trading range. Remember last Tuesday, remember last Monday was was off, but last Tuesday, we had a pretty sharp down day, a follow-through from the previous week, and chattered sideways for the rest of the week. And after Friday's down day, we kind of uh, recovered all of that and remain in this choppy sideways pattern around the 50-day moving average for the S&P. And the question is, are we going to resolve to the upside or the downside? Are we going to close above last week's high or below last week's high on any particular day this week? And that's, uh, that's my main 
data point that I'm looking for in this market right now. Now that I've set things up for today, I want to hear from you. 8899 chart, 8892 We have an information-packed podcast for you today. So let's get right to our first caller right now. Hey, Steve, Justin. My name is Shaz. I'm from Washington, D.C. I just wanted to know, what do you do with your uh, emergency funds? I've collected some emergency funds that's going to come in handy if something were to happen to my job for, for let's say, six months and I don't get a job for six months. And I'm just trying to understand where should I put it. At, at this point of time, it's in savings account. Should I put it in like money market or money market fund? And, and if you could, what's the difference between those two? Thank you. Well, the difference effectively is not much. And most good money market funds are FDIC insured, just like your savings account is. And really, it's about just earning the highest yield. And I know right now it can be difficult. I get this call all the time, almost every day. I have emergency fund. I have some cash. I'm yielding 0.5% or 0.7%. And it's very difficult to earn a return. And you're not going to earn as much as inflation in this market. That is the Fed's goal right now, is to push people to spend. They don't want you to earn a lot on your money. They care about borrowers. They care. They don't care about savers. They want people to borrow. They want to incentivize people to borrow and spend. And therefore, they're not going to allow you to earn much on your investment safely, unfortunately. So that's just, that's just where you are. It's where we are in our Keynesian world of central banking. It's where they put us. And so... The best place right now, unfortunately, is just simply a money market account. Uh, hopefully, FDIC insured. There are plenty of uh, big companies that will give you a decent return. I say decent in this environment, which is, like I said, a 0.7, 0.8%. It's probably the best you're going to do. Uh, I would keep three to six months total of living expenses and make sure you continue with your savings and your retirement accounts as well. So I know it's a tough pill to swallow, but... You know, that's the environment that we're in right now. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Summer is pretty much over. We're headed into the fall. And for investors, the need to remain vigilant hasn't stopped. We know there are a lot of crosswinds between fiscal and monetary policy as well as economic drag from the COVID pandemic. And this makes managing your fear and greed even more important. And great investors are able to practice a steady hand in this environment. So that's our goal, is to help you have that steady hand. Understand the pros and cons of everything that's out there in the market and help you manage the risks and balancing your portfolio correctly with the right strategies. So I'm ready to take your call right now. Your participation is as important as ever. So we're taking your calls live at 888 chart This is Invest Talk, the radio program cast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. 
You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today concerns the story, stock dividends were ravaged by the pandemic, but is the worst over? We're going to touch on an analyst that put out a report that makes makes him think that it will take at least two years for dividends to come back, but there are already some signs of dividends as well as buyback sentiment rebounding, so we're going to break down that story. Also, Biden has a different tax plan when it comes to retirement savings, mainly 401k retirement savings. And I think it's an interesting plan uh, and doesn't change the 401k environment too much, but it kind of levels the tax uh, write-off situation when it comes to uh, putting money into your 401k plan. So I'm going to go over that just in case Biden is the next president. Also, mistakes people make in a recession. I'm going to go over some, and maybe this can enlighten you into maybe not making some of these potential mistakes. And then lastly, we're going to touch on derivatives and retail investors. I know a lot of investors or a lot of new investors are starting to dig into options, which can be pretty dangerous if you don't know what you're doing, especially a new investor most likely doesn't. And so we're going to dig into what that means for investors as well as the market as a whole. So that's what's on my mind today. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now here on Invest Talk and at my company, KPP Financial, we practice a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. So we're going to give you unbiased guidance. We're not colored by pushing you into certain investments or one way or the other. We're just giving you our, our honest opinion as well as our clients. We invest right alongside with them. So we want to make sure that we're making the best decisions on behalf of our clients as well as ourselves. So if you ever need a portfolio review, I encourage you to Reach out to myself or Steve through investtalk.com. We can do a phone consultation, Skype, dive meetings, etc. You can call our our KPP financial office in Irvine, California as well at 800-557-5461. Now let's grab another caller question that came in from New York on our anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin and Steve. This is Sandy from New York. Been new listener to your show. Love what you guys are doing. I had a quick question about um, Alpha Pro Tech, APT. I took a position about two weeks ago, and I saw uh, it probably went down a little bit. I took it because I wanted to hedge against the COVID headwind, and uh, it is down by about 20% or so. wanted to get your insights in terms of should I hold on to it, should I buy some more position, or should I exit? Love to get your inputs. Thank you. All right, looking at Alpha Pro Tech. This is a very, very small cap company, $197 million market cap, and that's up from its pre pandemic level, about $3.40. Now it's at $14.55. So 
you know, this used to be a $40 million market cap. Now it's a $200 million market cap. So it's up about fivefold since the start of Vantemic. And uh, looks like you bought it much higher than here and it has pulled back into some major support around the 200-day moving average. And that would be my out. Uh, longer term, since the pandemic started, it's kind of consolidated in a, in a broad range between about $10 and $25. It's a very, very volatile name. So uh, you see to expect volatility in this. Uh, earnings are up 475% year-over-year. Earning uh, Revenue is up 123% year-over-year in the month ending June of this year. So second quarter, I would imagine this quarter also up very strongly year-over-year. Earnings for 2020 are supposed to be $1.89. That's after 23 cents a share last year. So up 722%. And then another 41% growth next year to $2.66. So, you know, long-term, I, I, I see the, the tailwinds of the pandemic fading, but that could be a little while, right? A lot of people thought the pandemic was going to be over in a few months and it's likely going to drag into next year, maybe even in 2022 to some degree, and there's going to be more PPE, and that's kind of what uh, they sell. So, you know, I don't love it from a long-term perspective because of that. I like companies that have longer-term secular tailwinds, and I just don't see this as the type of company that has that. It's more of a short-term. So, uh, I would be looking for an exit, but I do think you could easily see another surge if maybe you get a a second wave in the fall, which is certainly possible. And I'd be looking to exit this name as opposed to uh, buy more. But if it does break that 200-day moving average right around, let's see, what is it at, at right now? $11.89. So this breaks 11 bucks. I would probably be out of it right now. It's at 14.55. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And in these uncertain times, it's natural for investors to be unsure about how much of their portfolio is exposed to the risks that are in the market, right? Currency risk, interest rate risk, market risk. How do you understand and deal with your risk in your portfolio? You can head over to investtalk.com and take our free risk questionnaire. 888 chart Give me a call. It's an Invest Talk Monday. Justin Klein is here taking your questions live. How is your portfolio doing? Are you prepared for continuing volatility? You've got questions. Call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, Tyler from Kansas City. Love the show. Longtime listener. First time caller. What I wanted to ask about was company shares outstanding. After I do my stock screeners and find my top stock picks, I will look back about four to five years to find out what percentage of shares these companies have been buying back uh, year over year and give priority to the ones that buy back at higher percentages. I know there are outside factors, such as if they are taking on debt to buy back stock, but I do try to find the companies that aren't. This is a very important factor I use when looking at stocks, and I haven't heard you guys mention it. Thanks again, guys. Can't wait to hear your answer on the podcast. I love this question, and I think he has it pretty much right. He's looking at how much of the company shares the they're buying back, as opposed to 
issuing more shares, and there's plenty of those. Tesla, for example, has quadrupled its shares outstanding over the last decade, whereas other companies are using their excess cash, their positive cash flow, to buy back shares. And what that means for you as the investor, if that's the case, instead of share dilution, you're slowly getting or owning a higher percentage of the company. Right? That's what a share is. It's a share of the company. That's why I call it shares. If there's more shares outstanding, that one share or however many shares you have has a certain percentage of ownership in the business. And if they issue more, you're going to have less. If they buy back those shares, you're going to have more. And so, like he said, some are taking on a lot of debt to do so. Boeing, for example, has been taking on a ton of money or a ton of debt in order to buy back shares over the past decade. And that's one of the reasons they're in a financial peril. That's why they asked for a bailout because they have too much debt. They didn't save enough for a rainy day. So I like the fact that he's paying attention to that, not just how much, how many shares outstanding there are or whether those that's shrinking or growing, but also is their debt growing or are they paying down debt? And that's why we like companies with positive cash flow and good balance sheets that are also paying down the number of shares that are outstanding. Let's go to Mike and Compton looking at CVS Caremark. Yes. Hi, Justin. How are you? I have a question. Um, CVS, it seems like they're doing all the right things, but for some reason the uh-huh. stock has continued to go down the last couple months. I'm wondering if there's something I'm not seeing here that you can take a look at. Well, what you're probably not paying attention to is the level of debt on their balance sheet. Uh, they do have about $71 billion in long-term debt. And that's really the issue here is can they continue to carry that debt in the face of rising online competition? Now, they have been trying to transition their business from uh, just a drugstore into more of a healthcare company, right? That's why they changed the name to CVS Health. Uh, they purchased, what was the name? What was the name of the insurer they bought? Do you remember, Mike? I'm trying to remember off the top uh, of my no, head. No, I'm, sh- I'm not sure. Yeah, they bought an insurer, a health insurer. So it, it's, oh, yes, yes, they've right. been trying to transform the business to compete, right? Because they see the problems of uh, being a retailer. And so their strategy is to become more of a healthcare company. That's why they stopped selling cigarettes. Uh, and they have in, they have clinics within a lot of the CVS where you can go get, you know, basic health services like flu shots and, and checkups, et cetera. And I like that strategy. However, it's taking a lot of money and a lot of debt in order to do that. So that's really the, the main issue here is the, the market is punishing them for that level of debt, even though the level of debt has been coming down some. Let me look at the, the trend. Yeah, uh, yeah, it came down from a high of 73. Yeah, only minor from 73.5 to 71.6. So it hasn't really come down too much. And that's really what you're missing here is just that debt overhang. And, and the market is uh, punishing any company with excessive debt right now. Okay. Yeah, the the one thing we did notice is they've taken over the pharmacies in Target, which we thought maybe that would help, and maybe that was part of Mm -hmm. the debt issue also. Yeah, well, that's that's part of it. I think I think a Biden 
presidency will also hurt them as well because of the role they play in drug distribution and uh, the amount they they take for that. And so if there's some sort of more government uh, heavy hand in the in the healthcare industry and pushing down drug prices, that could also hurt CVS. So there's a lot of potential headwinds for CVS's business. Even though I like their strategy, I think there's a lot of of risk involved in what they're doing and, and their type of business. So uh, that's really, I think, what you're missing is just the level of risk in the future to their business. Their numbers right now look fairly good, right? Earnings are, let's take a look. Earnings this year are supposed to be $7.23, up 2%. Next year, up another 4 to $7.53. Uh, growth is certainly slowed to 3% year over year on, on revenue. Um, so it looks cheap from a PE perspective of only about 7 But once again, if there's some sort of more government regulation around the healthcare and drug industry, as well as that overhang of the debt, I think those are the two things that are really holding CVS back. Thanks for the call. Now, the next Invest Talk, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin says that now is not the time to worry about the deficit or the Fed's balance sheet. He says that the economic crisis warrants extraordinary stimulus from both Congress as well as the Fed. That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value. So your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses 
that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. This is InvestTalk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Bill in Fremont. Let's talk about Roth IRAs. Hi, Justin. How you doing? Uh, yeah, Justin. Yeah, good. Uh, the reason I'm calling, you were talking to a caller not too long ago about doing some trading in a Roth IRA. I'm interested mm-hmm. in doing that. Can you tell me more about that? I know without tax consequences, that is. Well, what do you mean? What, what do you What do you want to know about it? Um, I don't. I don't know all the details about a Roth IRA. I'm not sure. I think you can only put five grand per year in it or something like that. And I don't know what you can do with all that. I just want to be careful with it. Um, just want to do some well, trading. You, up you can tell me a little more details about it. Yeah, I mean, a, a Roth IRA is just type of account, just like a, a regular IRA is. It's, it's a tax-deferred account. So you, a regular IRA, you anything you put in is a tax write-off. When you in the year that you make that contribution, and a Roth IRA, it's not a write-off in that year, but you aren't taxed in the future. So, if you make big outsized gains in that particular account, then and say you're a trader, and maybe you're a great trader, and you make huge returns, then you're not going to be taxed. Now, there are some oh. uh, rules around how often you can trade, etc. Uh, within uh, an IRA or retirement account. That's something you want to talk to your broker about. Um, but if you are good at it, then it's a great place to make trades. If you aren't, though, yeah, was- you also don't get the tax write-off as well. So if you lose money, and, and which most people aren't great at trading, uh, then they eventually lose enough money, but they can't make that write-off in a Roth IRA. Make sense? Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, I thought I'd try my hand. I'm actually, I got a U-Invest account with Chase. I'm doing some investments, not trading. I just thought I'd try my mm-hmm. hand. At it. I thought that was a good idea when you said try a Roth IRA. I thought you'd just fill me in with more details, which you did. Thank you very much. No problem, Bill. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today concerns the story stock dividends were ravaged by the pandemic and is the worst over. And this is a report from Evercore ISI that came out Friday. And what it showed is that in the month of August, out of the S&P 500 companies, 
there were 13 dividend increases as opposed to only two dividend cuts, which is clearly much different than the first part of the year. And not only have dividend increases started to reverse, but the cuts to share buybacks have also reversed as well. Now, net share repurchases dropped 80% in the second quarter, meaning companies that were buying back shares, issuing debt, or just using cash flow to buy back shares suddenly stopped for the most part. And many companies suspended those buybacks for the near future, including some that suspended their dividends, especially companies like uh, like banks, J.P. Morgan, for example. They suspended their buybacks, but they continued their dividends. Others, like Wells Fargo, had to cut their dividend. Estee Lauder, for example, they are taking a slower approach. They expect to reinstate share repurchases sometime during this year, but they're not sure yet. So some are, are, give, are, are using the wait-and-see approach. Others have gone back to share repurchases because they feel more confident. But this analyst thinks it's going to be two years before you get back to the level of dividends and share repurchases that you saw prior to the pandemic. And that shouldn't be a shock. You know, a lot of companies have taken an approach over the past decade or so where the Fed was always always going to step in. They were always going to save the market. They were always going to bail them out in some degree. So a strong balance sheet wasn't needed. And they started to see that in this pandemic that this there can be events that the Fed can't control. Okay, And that's why I think you're going to see these companies, especially uh, in the major indexes, be slow to get back to buying the same amount of shares back as well as paying the same level of dividend. Let's go to Christopher in New York looking at BTG, which is a gold company, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. Is that right, Chris? Yes, it is. Thank you, Justin, for the show. Thank you, Gold. Remember, listener. And uh, I just was looking into uh, BTG because it's a Canadian company. And I wanted mm-hmm. to you know, uh, open up a small position in it. What do you think? What are your thoughts? Um, I like B2 Gold. This is a Canadian gold miner. Uh, they are located, or their mines are located in Nicaragua, Nam- Namibia, and the Philippines. $7.2 billion market cap. Earnings up 120% year over year. Revenue up 65% year over year. Yields about 2.3% on the dividend side. And it's still not that expensive, to be honest with you, based on uh, the current earnings. Operating earnings yield of 8.5%. Very minimal debt. I like that. Very strong balance sheet. Enterprise value to EBITDA only 7 And this is a great example of how so many of these gold miners and silver miners are still very undervalued. Even though they moved far, remember, they have high, high operating leverage. And so when Precious metal prices go up the way they've, they have over the past year plus, their earnings goes up exponentially. 
And so I'm, I'm a big fan of B2 Gold, uh, definitely in my top 10 gold miners that are out there. And so I would, I would buy it. I like it. Thanks for the call, Christopher. Let's go to Bill in Lake Tahoe looking at NVIDIA, which just came to a deal to buy with a, with, for a deal to buy ARM Holdings. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it, Bill? Yeah, I was, uh, thank you for taking my call, Justin. I was looking to add it to uh, a core holding as a core holding in a in a balanced portfolio that I have just for a long term play, and I just wanted to see what you uh, thought about that. Well, when I'm looking long term, I'm focused on the profitability and the consistency of the profitability of the company, and Nvidia checks that box because over the last decade, return equity has averaged probably in the low 20s and definitely kicked into gear over the last five years where you haven't had a return on equity lower than about 26% and return on invested capital lower than 20%. So I like that. I like its profitability, its cash flow growth. And the, the bigger question though is valuation. It, it is pretty expensive at these levels, $318 billion uh, market cap, enterprise value to EBITDA of 60 Eight, sixty-eight. That is extremely high. So it is very expensive. To be honest with you, uh, I would want this roughly fifty percent cheaper than it is today. Now the arm, I, I haven't dug into the arm deal and, and whether that was a good buy or not. Um, but you know, technically, it's in an uptrend. Long term, the profitability is strong, but it's also in the tech industry where. The competitive advantage, the technological advantage can shift overnight, right? What if AMD comes out with something or Intel comes out with something or some other smaller company comes out with a, a, a graphics chip that is better and faster than NVIDIA? That's certainly possible. So that's, it makes it difficult for tech companies to be held as a core holding and say, I'm going to put it in a drawer and forget about it for the next 20 years because Anything can happen in the tech industry. Be innovation happens fast, and in you know it's a competitive marketplace. So, profitably, I like it. Valuation, I don't, and the industry makes it hard for me to just make it a buy and hold core holding. But if it gets cheap enough, then I would I would like to own it. But to me, it needs to be roughly fifty percent or more uh, down from where it is today. So I think it's a crowded trade and it's very overvalued right now. But I like the copy. I like that's on your watch list. It's on my watch list, just not at these prices. Thanks for the call, Bill. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I encourage you to explore the finance and investment information we have over at investtalk.com. You can learn more about our various investment strategy opportunities that we offer through KPP Financial as well. One example is our Equity Income Plus program. It's dividend investing with a boost. It's a covered call strategy that only uses dividend-paying stocks. And if you're serious about achieving financial freedom, you'll want to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at KPP Financial in Irvine, California. And you can learn more anytime over at investtalk.com. And now I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Good news. Steve and Justin have recorded another Rapid Fire Hour podcast. They take caller questions at a faster pace, but you still get their unbiased answers. In this special bonus show podcast, 
you'll hear responses to 34 finance and investment questions. The theme of the program concerns market processes, best practices for investors, and explanations of various terms and investment opportunities. So tell your friends, search Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, or investtalk.com for the free August Rapid Fire Hour. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial. Hey, Steve or Justin, this is Russ from Chicago. I have a question about the role of market makers manipulating the market. This stems from a conversation I had with my father-in-law and something I've seen in message boards about people complaining they would have made money or they would have done this or that, but the market makers screwed them over. And my father-in-law is saying it's so hard to make money because the market makers control the market and they determine where stock prices go. I know that's not right, but I was just looking for a better explanation. So if you could, please tell us about the role of market makers in the market. Thank you. Well, the role of market makers is supposed to be that they step in and provide liquidity. right? So if there's, for example, bad news and the stock is going down, there's a dearth of buyers. Market makers are supposed to step in and provide liquidity so there's not as much volatility. And then on the flip side, if things are going well, they're supposed to step in and unload, typically at a profit. Now, there's a lot less market makers than there were in the past, or at least they're, they're, they're less willing to take the type of risks. A lot of time, this used to be banks that would step in and be the market makers, especially on the bond side. It bond, there are market makers on bonds as well. However, it's become more difficult for these banks to operate from a regulatory standpoint because of Dodd-Frank. And so that's really the, the, the question uh, is how much role do they currently have in the market? Uh, I think it has more to do with high frequency traders and data being sold off to um, being sold off to those high frequency traders from the likes of Robinhood and other brokers because they have very strong data on the flow of buy and sell orders and they confront run. So I think it has more to do with high frequency traders. Now, do I think that makes it harder to make money? No. I just think most people don't know what they're doing and they want to find an excuse. They rather blame somebody else than blame themselves. Oftentimes they think, oh, this is easy. They make money in the near term. And then suddenly the market shifts and the stocks they hold aren't going up. And they don't know how to navigate that. They don't know how to control risk. They're amateurs. It is very difficult. Nine out of 10 traders in the marketplace go bust. Why? Because they don't have a plan. They don't have risk parameters and most of the time they're going to it's human nature to blame other people as opposed to just admit that hey I'm not good at this or it's too difficult or I don't have the discipline or the data 
there are a lot of factors that go into being a good investor as well as trader. And if you're just missing one of those, it can hamper your returns over the long term and the short term. So I hope that helped and try not to get too caught up in you know, market manipulation rumors. 8899 chart, 8899 Let's touch quickly on a proposal from the Biden's, Joe Biden's tax plan. And what's interesting about this potential change is changing the tax advantage of putting money into a 401k from a percentage, right, a write-off to a tax credit. So, for example, if you're in a high tax bracket, you put $1,000 into a 401k, say you're in a 37% tax bracket, it's, like it's going to save you $370 in taxes. But if you're a low-income earner and you put $1,000 in, maybe in your 12% tax bracket, it's only saving you $120. What his proposal is saying is that it will be a 26% tax credit. So no matter how much money you make, you're still going to get that 26% write-off. So $1,000 contribution will be a $260 tax savings for everyone. And even if you have zero tax taxes uh, due, you'll still get a 26% tax credit, which I think is interesting as well. So uh, that'll be interesting to see if, it, if he wins and if it's implemented. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial where Talk hosts and KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein practice parallel investing. That means Steve and Justin's accounts participate with Klein Investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing at investtalk.com. Let's go to Mark in Union City looking at Garmin Limited. Yes, thank you very much for taking my call. No problem. Thanks for making it. Uh, do you own it or are you looking to buy it? I own some, um, and I wanted to see what you thought of it. Well, I like Garmin as a company. For everybody else out there, what Garmin does is they make handheld, portable, fixed-mount GPS systems for automotive, outdoors, marine, and fitness markets. So... Uh, recently, there because of the pandemic, earnings were down 22% year over year. Revenues down 9%, but expected to earnings expected to rebound to an all-time high next year to $4.64 a share, $19 billion market cap. What I like about it is that they have a very strong balance sheet, very strong positive cash flow. I like that. 2.4% dividend yield with a payout ratio only about 35%, so certainly room to grow that dividend. So I like what you're looking at from that perspective, as well as profitability. They, they tend to, over the last decade, average somewhere in the mid to high teens on a return on equity, as well as return on invested capital. So I like those metrics. Issue is valuation at about $100 a share, $19 billion market cap. My valuation is somewhere closer to that $15 billion. So about 20 to 25% below where it is today, around $75 to $80 a share. Okay. So that's to me a, a better place to own it. 
uh, somewhere around fair value. Right now, I think it's a little, little overvalued. And technically, it started to roll over, broke its 50-day moving average. So it, how, what percentage of your portfolio is it, Mark? I have a very small position. I just purchased it um, very small. Okay. Maybe, well, maybe one, once again, maybe I would... Okay, well, I, I would wait to add to it until we get kind of into that 80 with an 80 handle. If it gets an 80 handle, that's when I would think about adding more to it. I think it's a fine long-term position, uh, even though it's slightly overvalued right now. But I would think about adding to it if it gets down to that 80-plus level. Thanks for the call, Mark. Now, I think I can fit one more caller question in that came in earlier from a listener in Philadelphia. Hey, Steve. Hey, Justin. This is Sean from Philly, and I have a dilemma. So I came into a large sum of money, about $12,000, and I'm thinking about putting it all into a Bitcoin, like just buying a whole Bitcoin. I'm really young, so I have a lot of time, so if I did lose the money, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, obviously, I don't want to lose it, but I think the, the risk outweigh the reward with this. Uh, I was kind of hoping you guys could talk me out of it, because I'm pretty close to pulling a trigger and becoming a, a whole coiner. I hope you hear the response on the show. Thank you. Guys. All right. Thanks for the call. Asking about Bitcoin, how much to put into Bitcoin. Now, I will, for full disclosure, through an ETF, I do have some Bitcoin exposure of myself, but it's very small. And the reason it's very small is because I see it, I see Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general just to be a, a binary outcome. Either it's going to explode and be worth a ton of money because it's going to be the central store of value for the future of our financial system, or it's going to be worth nothing. Right? So it's either going to be worth drastically more than it is today, or some other avenue to uh, maybe replacing the dollar as the global reserve currency or just the, the evolution of currency within the world is going to take another form. It's hard to know exactly where that goes. For me, I'm, uh, I have more faith in, in gold in general because of its history and uh, its relative safety compared to Bitcoin, which is very volatile, and there are technological challenges that still need to be overcome, as well as governments potentially taking over uh, Bitcoin and uh, you know its, its ownership, which certainly can can happen. So should you put all $12,000 into Bitcoin? I probably wouldn't do that. But, you know, a few thousand, nothing wrong with that. Because once again, it is, for me, a binary outcome. Either Bitcoin goes from what, roughly $10,000 now to could be $100,000, a million dollars a coin if it's central to the future financial system. If not, it's worth nothing. So, to me, you only need a small exposure in order to get that big outcome if it's positive. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I'll return on Thursday. Steve Peasy will be here tomorrow. Please remember to tell your friends and family members that they can choose from over 100 archived Invest Talk podcasts for free over at investtalk.com or iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. 
Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlos Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.